You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this edition, our featured guests are Jason Halfstein, Managing Director and Head of Internet Research, and Tim Haran, Managing Director and Head of Cloud and Communications Research at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on November 21, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Talk Future. In this episode, we're going to talk about the end of TV as we know it and how to profit from it. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here once again with Tim Haran, Managing Director and Senior Analyst heading the Cloud and Communication Services Research Team at Oppenheimer, and Jason Helfstein, Managing Director and Senior Analyst and Head of Internet Research at Oppenheimer. So obviously how we watch TV has changed a lot over the last five years, and it keeps changing. And the cable, telco, and Hollywood players seem to be forever locked in a battle for customers. The consumers are trying to figure out how to get the programming they want in an easy and financially efficient way. Investors are trying to figure out which players have the pricing power and the staying power to keep and grow subscribers. So that's what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about the players, technologies, themes, likely winners, and it's a lot. So let's get going. And Tim, I'm going to start with you because you've just written a massive research report called the Cable Telco Video Deep Dive. Why now? Because we've crossed over half of households do not pay for legacy TV, what we call basically broadcast TV over either your cable or satellite provider. And yeah, crossed over the 50% mark kind of in the last year or so. And that number is declining by about, you know, 5% of households a year. So, you know, it's a pretty dramatic shift in how we live our lives. Uh, young people are watching TV, as you know, a lot more over the top. They are on a lot more different apps like uh, TikTok. Um, and really what we're seeing for TV is kind of what we saw in the past, for like newspapers and music where it's all going what we call over the top, uh, basically as an application on top of the internet. And we were kind of thinking this process might accelerate because for the first time ever, people have choices for where they get broadband from and where they can get content from. And we're starting to unravel what were kind of legacy television bundles of lots of channels and bundling together sports in uh, with a lot of traditional TV broadcast channels. And then we also had basically a battle between Charter and Disney over how should these bundles look going forward. Uh, Charter wanted to, and wants to bundle in all the -the over-the-top options that consumers have as well with their linear TV product to basically essentially stay relevant longer term. So all those things were the catalyst. And the biggest one, frankly, probably was the Disney, uh, Disney Charter conflict because then we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we make money on this? Who are the winners and, and who are the losers? And, you know, I can get into that if you like. Okay. So 
you just said that what are we at? Like 40% of households are not paying for traditional TV. So in this process, we're about halfway there. And talk a little bit more about that specifically. Yeah, 40% of households don't pay. About 10% of households have what we call uh, an over-the-top television package that you can get from like a YouTube TV or, or Hulu, who Jason follows. And then 50% have the traditional one, which is basically coming from a cable company or someone like a DirecTV or, or a Comcast. And that 50% is declining like 5% per year. And it's declining because the over-the-top YouTube TV option is much better. You can watch it anywhere on any device. It's a lot cheaper. You can uh, share it with multiple family members. Uh, you have unlimited DVR capabilities. It's got a better better search capability. So the cable and satellite guys are basically under uh, under a massive amount of pressure. So that's where we're at. Okay, Jason, you cover Netflix and Roku, and they were early drivers of TV video moving to the internet. H- how are those guys positioned now? Sure. So as of September, you had about 38% of screen time was, was spent on streaming services, while 53% was spent on traditional broadcast and cable, right? So you still have households who, to Tim's point, right? So, and when you take that 38% and you divide that up, about eight points of that 8% is Netflix. Um, you've got about one point of that is Roku, but 9%, nine points of that 9% is YouTube, which is free YouTube, right? And then on top of that, you've you got the, the YouTube paid service. But, but overall, Roku has said that half of the U.S. households have basically are, are Roku users. And we know that Netflix has 77 million subscribers, which could include one or multiple households. But we think it's something like 170 to 200 million people. So, you know, we're, we're, we're way established. And then really the question is, you know, what the big technology companies do as it's unfolds over the next few years. Right, right. And, you know, one of the things that we keep hearing about in this argument that legacy TV is dead, it seems like the big thing that's that's broken legacy TV are sports, right? Isn't that what had traditionally really kept the consumer with TV? I mean, Tim, is that the case? That's right. I mean, it was bundled together with all the other channels, so consumers really didn't have a lot of options. But it, it really drove up the, the price of TV. I mean, legacy TV from a cable company with the set-top boxes and everything, it's like $130 a month. And, you know, the sports content costs of that could be like 20 to $25. And, you know, now, though, uh, you have a lot more sports going, what we call over the top. You can get kind of ESPN Plus, and there's a lot of regional sports networks where you can pay them directly for whatever, you know, sports that you want. And there's tons of other uh options uh, for sports. So in some of the latest deals now, you also have Charter and Comcast that are negotiating what we call much slimmer packages that don't have sports and they don't even have the broadcast TV in it for something like a 30 or $40 a month type package because getting up to $130 a month has become, you know, extremely unaffordable. And then once again, you do have a lot of other options. A lot of households don't watch sports. So they're, they decided that's why 40% of households have just completely dropped legacy linear TV to go to things like Netflix and a whole bunch of other options that they have. As we try to figure out what this looks like going ahead, you've had a lot of disaggregation of, of content, sports and stuff like that. Another thing that's 
kind of prominent is service juggling. Consumers will go with a particular provider if there's something that they want to see. So Jason, how do you view all of that going forward with bundling and content aggregation? What's that going to keep looking like? That's a great point. If you look at all of the kind of subscription packages, the, the overall churn has gone from about 26 million to, to 35 million from the first quarter of 22 through the second quarter of 23. And so effectively the, the churn percentage has actually gone up. So like in, in that time, you know, you've got something like a stars, which has churn as high as 10%, whereas a Netflix may be as low as call it 3%. And then you have a, a bunch of services in the middle and look during COVID subscriber consumers subscribe to everything, right? Cause why not? And then you started to come out of COVID and consumers got a lot more particular. And to your point, you're now seeing a ton of churn. I mean, Disney has basically called out for families who have children, they generally keep Disney Plus. For everybody else, it's whenever there's a, a new Star Wars show or Mandalorian. And what they found was the only way to reduce that churn was to get people to bundle, like basically offer a discount if you take ESPN Plus and Disney Plus or with Hulu as well. So, so we're actually probably going to go back to world of bundling, but it's going to be a digital bundling where you'll pay for your broadband access directly to Tim's companies, but then ultimately there'll be some version of a digital bundle, whether it's through a YouTube TV, which is, you know, positioned to become like the leaning, we'll call skinny bundle. And then, you know, we still have to see what Amazon um, and, and Apple uh, will ultimately end up doing because we think they will be players in this game as well. And Tim, that brings up a good point. So for your players, the legacy cable and satellite players, where are they in all of this and how are they going to respond? Jason brings up a, a good point. I mean, kind of what's old again is, is new again. You know, the what the cable guys have done historically is they bundled everything together and Obviously, we had 15 minutes of advertising, uh, you know, per hour and the ad industry, I think at the peak was getting like 60 uh, or was paying like $60 per month per TV household or receiving um, in advertising revenue. That's down to like $35 a month now. But, you know, the over the top guys are starting to package this stuff together and they're also starting to implement advertising. But, you know, it's probably going to be more like five minutes uh, uh, an hour um, before it kind of moves on, you know, over time. And, and the satellite guys themselves are trying to now a bundle channels together with both legacy TV and a whole bunch of the new applications. They have rolled out a, a new set-top box chartering Comcast that they call Zuma. And the, the stated goal is basically to bundle services together. And Comcast has put most of their NBC content on what's called a Peacock, which is an over-the-top service. And they have a, a few different brands here. They have advertising. They do have, they do have a, a paid version also. But basically just making it easier to integrate it together, probably using AI over time to try to figure out what people like to watch, um, make storage a lot easier, make the traditional linear TV product an awful lot better over time and essentially hasten the migration over to an over-the-top product. Because when the cable guys do that also, they can free up an awful lot of capacity on their wired networks. Right now, a lot of the capacity is used for this broadcast linear TV. If we're sitting here a decade from now, there's a good chance that ends up getting shut off and they just basically send everything on the over-the-top basis themselves. But the conclusion we kind of came with in the report and the second derivative of the report, which is a little bit crazy, 
is that there's not enough subscribers to go around and the overall industry revenue, well, subscriber growth is down a lot because obviously videos are declining, video subscribers are declining like 10% per year. Uh, they have a lot of voice subscribers in, in the, both for cable and for telcos that are declining like 10% per year. And the cable and telco industry had kind of been in a bit of a price war the last two years as the subscribers declined and they both entered into each other's territories with very aggressive uh, price packages to basically gain market share. And as a result of that, over the last two years, the stocks underperformed pretty dramatically. And the conclusion we came to in the report and after talking to all the companies and industry consultants is that that price war is probably over. And that's why we call the report detente has begun. Has begun. Uh, because the only option that the cables have, they can't really stop this process and this migration to over-the-top video and the decline of a lot of their voice customers. But they can improve their broadband product and they can raise prices for by, for broadband like 5% per year. And they can essentially slash their operating expenses. And we think that's what they're doing and, and are going to continue to do. And then the third derivative of that is this actually ends up benefiting the wireless industry to a degree because wireless now for the first time ever is selling what we call fixed wireless, um, which is a broadband product. And they are bundling in some of these kind of over the top bundles of, of content in with uh, their mobile service. And this package can save customers a decent amount of money, but now they can basically raise prices for both the mobile product and for the fixed wireless uh, broadband product, which is essentially what they're doing. And at the same time, cut expenses. So for the whole industry now, the focus has gone from price competing and not generating a lot of free cash flow to let's focus on generating free cash flow and either buying back stock or paying down debt. So the industry of the telcos and cable companies is producing around $50 billion a year of free cash flow. We think in two to three years, that'll be up around 70 to $75 billion, and they'll use that to really good benefit for the, uh, for the shareholders. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but it... Um, was a little surprising when we started the whole process of what's the outcome of this process going to mean, in the, at least in the next few years. Yeah, no, it's a good answer and it's a counterintuitive answer because you talk about the fight for uh, subscribers and consumers. I wouldn't have assumed that price increases is where we're going to go, um, but your report makes a really good case for that. So, Jason, what does this mean for the Hollywood and content creators. You know, the old rule used to be content is king. What about those guys? I think that's still correct. I mean, ultimately, content was merged with, with distribution. That was kind of what created the last version of media. And right now you're unbundling it because ultimately the internet provides effectively free kind of international distribution. And so effectively, whoever can create content and then distribute it to the most users is going to have an advantage. And that's what Netflix ultimately, you know, ha has done. I mean, they've got 240 million subscribers globally. Um, so, yeah, so w we think you'll probably see some version of the unbundling of the media industry. I think one of the, the issues that you still have is certain media companies still own broadcast assets. There has never, there still hasn't been a um, a resolution as far as owning multiple broadcast television stations in the same market. While the rules around newspapers and TVs was resolved in 2017, the the rules around owning two networks is still currently not allowed. And then you could only own two stations if one of them is not in the, the top four ranked, right? So you can own like a premium station and a, you know, a non-premium station effectively, which just doesn't make sense anymore in the world of 
ubiquitous demand. Again, we've got Amazon saying they want to expand further into television. They proved they could get 13 million homes watching Thursday Night Football, which there was a question of that. You know, we think you'll see all of the big tech companies, namely Google, Apple, Amazon, ultimately looking at sports rights, which is going to be a challenge for the incumbent players to be able to kind of pay whatever the inflationary prices are so justified. And look, I think that's why, you know, Bob Iger is talking about what's the future of Disney. Is the future of Disney in two or three different pieces as opposed to keeping it together? Does ESPN have partners? But ultimately, from our perspective, we think Netflix is incredibly well positioned. You know, they're launching an ad business. It's taking probably longer than they expected. But part of that is they have happy subscribers effectively paying not for ads. So to go find subscribers who want to pay for, you know, who have ads is going to be harder. Amazon is going to be turning on ads in Amazon Prime Video. Um, and then effectively everyone will get those ads. And then you can pay, you know, $3 a month to skip those ads. And then Roku, which has half of, again, U.S. households expanding to Mexico, Brazil, parts of Europe, um, you know, is still in kind of their early days with their ad business and, and just not nearly as advanced as some some others. So, look, we think the, the consumers love content. They love video content. And, you know, that that's how we play it. Well, this is just also awesome. In this big fight, you guys are talking about higher prices for your cable, ad subscriptions where we're going to be forced to watching ads. This is so fun. All right, guys. So let's talk about which companies you all have focused on given this landscape. And Tim, why don't I start with you? Who are your best positioned players? Just before we, you know, we go there, and it's ironic, and you, you bring up a great point, but you know, a lot of this is kind of caused by Hollywood. Uh, basically, they they disintegrated what was really a, a gravy train of legacy linear TV, where it was a cash cow business, and I think partially because they they thought they wanted to continue to get paid from linear TV from from both cable subscribers and the advertising, and then get incremental revenue from over-the-top services. And what happened is the over-the-top got more and more popular and it's basically ultimately cannibalizing and destroying the whole food chain for linear TV, basically as we know it, and, and completely changing that. One of the reasons I want to mention that is the our top pick in this whole cable telco space has been for a long time is T-Mobile because they don't have any video revenue to speak of. It's basically all, all entirely wireless. And the degree that the cable companies and wireless companies are raising prices, they do have a well, we, a fixed wireless broadband product, and they have the ability to raise prices themselves. Uh, they also have basically the best wireless network out there, and they have also essentially prices that are, despite the fact they're raising prices, kind of 10% below AT&T and, uh, and Verizon at this point. The other company we like is more mid-cap. It's called uh, Cogent. They, they have an awful lot of fiber and data center and internet network connectivity, so they do transport a massive amount of, of video uh, globally. Uh, very effectively, and it's a very attractive stock. And then the third one, if you're looking for a dividend yield, uh, Verizon does benefit from this for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, but one of the main benefits to them is they're producing now a lot more free cash flow and they're deleveraging. So those would be kind of our top three picks to play this whole disintegration of legacy TV as we know it. Thank you. And Jason, where are you? I mean, without being repetitive, I mean, it's really Netflix and Roku. They will be launching advertising in a more robust way in the next year. You'll see them further crack down on password sharing, which 
they elegantly call it page sharing. It's it started, we're about two quarters into it, and you'll see it, you know, kind of follow through to next year. But you know, ultimately this is a company that's probably gonna do something like twenty dollars in gap earnings in twenty twenty five, which is kind of almost double what they're gonna do this year. So really well positioned. And then And Jason, can I can I just ask a question on that on the password sharing thing? One of the concerns was when they cracked down that they were going to lose subscribers, but that hasn't been the case, right? Correct. Because ultimately, as you said, and it's still the true truism, content is king. You have content people will want, people will pay for it. And they, they spent many years analyzing viewer behavior before doing this. And they also chose to. So, you know, if you were sharing it a little bit, they didn't ask you to pay more. But if they saw that an, another household was using it as if multiple people lived at that household, then you know what it was fair and ultimately you were given the choice pay to support that other household or kick them off and then that household can either get an advertising subscription or a premium ad but yeah they, i mean they, they they spent many years before they did this but then stock wise onto roku the other kind of company look during covid they were actually they hit kind of peak margins at 17 percent. you know really when there was this massive pull forward they then leaned into growth and the company became unprofitable again and probably overexpanded into international growth. As they've kind of right-sized the ship, you know, we think they're on pace to do something like 8% margins in 2025 and then probably by 2027 back to kind of mid-teens margins, uh, but ultimately have, you know, a, a revenue growth story that's probably one of the faster growing um, stories in the sector close to 20% plus revenue growth with expanding margins. So again, we think both R Roku and Netflix w would be the way to play this. Okay. Well, we've covered it. We got price increases. We got ad subscriptions coming. We like T-Mobile, Verizon, Cogent, Roku, Netflix. Anything else we missed, guys, or have we done it? Well, just two last points. Um, you know, one, uh, you know, customers are saving money on their TV bill um, from legacy TV. I mean, you can go from uh, $120, $130 a month down to like $75, $80, and there are other slim packages. So that is that is one area. And then secondly, we do get asked a lot about the cable companies. I mean, I think they have a rough two, three years ahead of them, but um, ultimately they do end up with a, mon a monopoly-like broadband situation covering half the country with very, very good pricing power. And uh, broadband really is the, the next, the, the key utility. It's like, you gotta have it, like having electricity. So it's still gonna be a very positive business longer term. Good, Jason, you have anything else to add? I mean, Amazon will get a lot of attention over the next year for launching ads and Prime Video. Ultimately, we think that could be a 6 to 7% incremental profit driver for them. We cover a company called Trade Desk, which is positioned to become the leading demand-side platform, and Connected TV is a, is, is a meaningful driver for them. And then we do think that, that Alphabet, i.e. Google, is positioned to become probably the leading provider over the next decade of that, that skinny bundle, namely through YouTube TV, but it, it kind of probably won't move the needle in the, the next few years from a profit standpoint. Great. Well, once again, thank you all for your time. This was super duper helpful. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, and so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode, and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.